Ahoy! And welcome to the Sea Captain Way podcast with Phil Bender and Greg Patton, where we help listeners navigate the uncharted waters, personal and professional growth. The Sea Captain Way is about energizing top performers to take on risks and push beyond their comfort zone to pursue life-changing goals and achieve peak performance. We're going to help you build your vision by showing you how to break free of boundaries that are holding you back. All right, Phil, today we're excited to welcome Amy Jamrog to the Sea Captain Way podcast. Amy is an author, coach, keynote speaker, financial advisor, and the founder of Four Wings Consulting. Throughout her 25-year career in financial services, Amy has helped hundreds of families successfully navigate money conversations, create new possibilities, and take action toward their dreams. Welcome, Amy. Welcome, Amy. So uh, thank you. This is this is a big day. This is exciting. I have uh, admired you, Amy, for years, and and I don't want to overstate this, but we do have a past. And uh, I like I think decades. <laughs> oh, we could say like decades of. Uh, Here we go. It is. It is. And and I've I've seen Amy speak. Uh, we were with the same firm for a number of years. And um, it is just so exciting to see how your careers blossom. So this is going to be fun. I can't wait to get started. Amy, anything you want to share before we uh, we dive in? I was thinking about you and I was thinking about spending this time together today. And I think one of the things I love so much about our industry is that regardless of company affiliation or where people end up, where we retire to, the friendships are the things that are like the friendships among our peers, like me and you, same as the friendships that we have with our clients. I just love that they're so long lasting and meaningful. So it's just cool to, you know, to hear from you and kind of pick up where we left off. I love it. Yeah. It's all about who you are, not what you know. And that, um, that makes this special. So uh, let's get started, right? Yeah. So Amy, I owned Tradewind Marketing and I work on a lot of branding projects with my clients, um, helping people name their business. And I always tell my clients that their brand identity is one of their most important assets. You know, it represents all that the business is and aspires to be. So I'm curious to know, why did you name your business Four Wings Consulting? Very deliberately. Um, so four wings refers to the dragonfly, mm. which is one of my favorite symbols. And so the dragonfly, unlike any other insect, the dragonfly can fly in all six directions. So it can fly forward and backwards, up and down, and it can move from side to side. Mm. And so it speaks to how nimble we have to be in our business. And I always say to my coaching clients, you know, I'm here to help you fly in any direction you choose. Nice. Sometimes, you know, I'm meeting with somebody new and they're going backwards or they're kind of stuck. Sometimes they're just flying too fast forward. And so we've got to assess where they are and then figure, you know, in which direction do they want to go. And then my job is to help them get there. Yeah, cool. You're on brand with your Zoom backdrop. I like it. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and uh, and that's, that's excellent. I think that's a terrific, terrific metaphor for what you do and, and how you do it. There are many, many different styles of providing guidance and training curriculum to clients in the business owner, business leader, professional development space. How would you describe your coaching philosophy? So it comes from having been coached by so many different people over the years, whether it's individual coaching, executive coaching, personal coaching, or group coaching. And so I I feel like my philosophy is kind of the culmination of all of the things I've learned from great leaders. I've been coaching 
clients for, uh, I say clients, my coaching clients, not my financial planning clients, although, you know, we coach everybody. Um, But my coaching clients, I've been coaching for 20 years and I started coaching individuals. They're really spending time deep dive, you know, thinking about and helping individuals. But what I learned over time and where my philosophy now comes from is that the power is within the group, that the answers to all the questions aren't coming from me, they're coming from the group. So all of my coaching now is group-based. Each of the people I coach are in a cohort, and I just find that there's so much synergy, energy, and frankly, generosity that comes from the group itself. So my coaching philosophy, to answer your question, is that I believe that the power in coaching comes from groups, and and that's um, the only coaching that I now do. Yeah, the same here, by the way. I do some individual still, but most of the time it's group work, and there is just so much that can be revealed in a group setting as long as there's intimacy and trust. So uh, good stuff, good stuff. Yeah, I've watched Phil coach groups, and it's it's interesting to me how you'll make them feel comfortable, especially salespeople who I don't associate with this trait, but you'll get them to be able to express the, you know, the, that they're feeling vulnerable in front of their coworkers. And it seems like once one person is willing to do that, it kind of opens up, you know, everybody else is a little you know, more honest and, and forthcoming. And the end result seems to be to the benefit of all. I say that all the time. You know, someone will ask a question in the group. We're on Zoom and we've got 50 people on the call. And before I, I answer the question, I'll say, anybody else on this call have this question? You know, and 27 hands go up. So it also is very validating, I think, for the individuals to look around and say like, oh, I'm not the only one thinking this, worried about this, or, or don't know the answer to this. Yeah. So Amy, you've got a lot, as I was getting to prepare for today's conversation, you've got a great website, you've got a blog post, you've got a book a lot of interesting things and to share your views in. And on the Four Wings Consulting website, you say you teach your clients how to erase the notion of work-life balance and replace it with a fully integrated life. You call this the integration sweet spot. Can you explain what you mean by this and why you think it's important? So I struggled for years early in my career. I've been an advisor for 26 years and I'm still an advisor. And I've struggled for years in the beginning with this concept of work-life balance. I would say, if you picture a scale, right? If work is here and home is here, and you're trying to balance between the two, even if you get it perfectly balanced, it's 50-50. And I always say, you know, if I go back to my, my report card, like a 50 is an F. And so it always just felt like even if you were perfectly balanced, you were half good in each thing. And it never felt like enough. When I coach clients, I would say, look, when you focus on home, you feel guilty you're not working. And when you focus on work, you feel guilty you're not home. And there, it just always feels incomplete, not satisfying, and not successful. Mm-hmm. So instead of picturing a scale balancing between those two things, I would say picture a Venn diagram. And each of the circles represents the things that are most important to you in life. So right. it could be family. It could be your home. It could be community, volunteering your clients, your business. And there's so many different facets of each of us as people. And so we take all of those circles and try to pull them together and build as much overlap as possible. Mm -hmm. So the integration sweet spot is where we can incorporate our kids into our work goals so that when we're successful at work, the kids also win. And so it's, you know, teaching advisors 
how to explain at home what you've got going on at work. Also to explain at work what you've got going on at home. Because if people don't understand the stresses or the things that you're up against on the home front, it's hard for them to be empathetic and supportive on the work front. So this integration sweet spot is being candid, being okay, blurring the lines between home and work, not trying to separate them. But because you're a whole person, I always say we're people, not just producers. And so because we're people, we are, we're involved in so many different areas in life. In at different stages in life, those concentric circles represent different things. So if you're raising three kids, it's a different situation than where I am now as an empty nester. And so we often try to help bring together as many of those circles so that there's overlap in the middle. And that's the integration sweet spot. When people can really figure out how to integrate all of the things they care about, mm -hmm. I find that they're happiest. That's so good. And Greg, it's interesting. I uh, was with a client just a couple of days ago and the discussion was about their 12-year-old starting to ask questions about their work life. Now, it's probably a window of about six months before they don't ask any questions anymore for about nine years. But <laughs> when six years goes off. <laughs> that's a different conversation. But it was so fulfilling. I could feel the expression of uh, gratitude from my client because the questions were asked. It wasn't about telling them what I do at work. It was about sharing how that works and mm -hmm. because there's curiosity. And I think when you're doing it right, Amy, I think that's where this crosses when you're blending your life. Absolutely. And without it, you will have resentment on either side, right? When, when the people at work don't understand what you're dealing with at home, they don't know. And so then it seems like, wow, you know, she's, she's, she's gone a lot. I wonder what she's got going on. There's resentment. Then when you're home and you're picking calls up in the middle of dinner or having to get out a call at night to help a client and you're not explaining the crisis that the client is going through and why it's so important that you're the person who can help them, you're going to have resentment at home. But as soon as you can start to explain and like you said, you know, build sort of that trust and confidence that like, you, like you've got to trust me that if I'm taking a call at night, it's really critical. And, and if I'm, you know, distracted at work, it's probably something pretty critical, but to be willing to be vulnerable, mm -hmm. to share that you're stressed out, to share that you've got some issues on either side, that's where your people can rally. And I think that we often don't ask for help, but when we do, or when we're more candid about what it is that we're dealing with in all areas of our life, then that's where you build your, your team. That's where you build your tribe, and that's where the support comes from, which makes all areas of life easier to manage. Yeah. And you must have gotten some interesting looks, Amy, when you initially told people work-life balance isn't the way to go. I totally, it's interesting to hear your perspective, but it makes total sense because it's it's not black and white. Like, you know, it's not two buckets as clean as that presents itself. So well, and I think they're it's uncomfortable for people when we build goals. At work. So for my team, every quarter, each of us has 10 goals, five business and five personal. And we, we weight them equally. So if on your, you know, list of things you've got to get done is, um, clean out the gutters at home. And that's a, that's a thing that's got to get done in the next 90 days. Put it on your list of goals. And I'll get pushed back as I'm coaching my advisor clients to say, I don't need my staff to know that I've got to paint the living room. As, as a personal goal, I don't need somebody to know I've got to clean out the garage before spring comes. And so, but here's the thing. It, when they do understand what your home goals are 
And when they, when home understands what your work goals are, everybody rallies to help you. So as the time is ticking towards the end of the quarter and you go like, Ooh, I got, I got a bunch of things I've got to get done at home. My team will say, Hey, cut out on Friday and go get those things done. Like we've got you. Mm-hmm. And so it creates such a different support system when everybody knows what everybody's got going on. I get that it's uncomfortable and it's an adjustment. If you've been trained to separate the two, that there's a divide between work and home and you don't have them overlap, mm-hmm. it can definitely be um, stressful mm-hmm. to, to, to change that way of thinking. But once we get people over the hump, they're like, ah, it just, it's a relief. But you can just be you mm-hmm. with whatever it is you're, you're dealing with on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that vulnerability with vision piece, Greg, that we talk about. Uh, yeah, I, I was thinking, so Alan, one of Phil's sea captain coaching coaches, he's an empty nester, and he said he puts on his calendar literally playtime <laughs> for his life. I thought that was awesome. Yeah, and like I'm not laughing because I totally get it. Like yeah. That makes complete sense to me, but it is a foreign concept to so many people, especially the older advisors in our industry who were trained the old way. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that, that's a cool answer. Other than when you said report card, I saw Phil Blanche. <laughs> yeah, let's let's put it this way, Amy. Coming out of college, I knew I was going to be making phone calls. Um, but that's a different conversation for a different day. Thank you, Greg. For Sorry again, for the minor mutiny during the sea captain. But you yeah. for the it up for me there. Thanks again for reminding me of my academic prowess. The uh, uh, let's get to the, let's get to this important stuff here. You're the author of two books. Your new book that was just published, which is just the coolest thing ever, in November of 2022 is called Confetti Moments. It's a collection of short stories that focus on those moments in life that you were joyful, celebratory, and fun. What was your inspiration for writing that book? Well, believe it or not, it was the pandemic, which doesn't Mm. sound celebratory, fun, or joyful. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, But it was was like April of 2020. Everything was fear-based, uncertain, insecure. Like, you know, we didn't know if we were going to be okay. We didn't know if our clients were going to be okay. We didn't, the market dropped 25%. There was so much insecurity. And all I wanted to do was bring, once a week, I wanted to bring stories to my clients that were uplifting. Not naive, like I, you know, I got that we were in the middle of something pretty terrible, but I wanted to bring stories that were uplifting, that were inspiring, that were like, ah, yeah, what a what a bright spot in an otherwise pretty dark week. So I started blogging on a weekly basis. I called it Wednesday Wisdom. And I didn't know that it would do anything but just be a little bit of a bright spot each week. And what I started to see was the blogs were being shared. Clients were sharing them with their whole family. Um, business owners were sending them to their entire teams. And and before I knew it, thousands of people were reading these stories every Wednesday. And then I start getting hundreds of emails and people telling me their stories. Mm-hmm. It was so clear. There was a need for taking a moment to just recognize small celebrations because there wasn't a lot to celebrate, right? 2020, 2021. So this went on for two years. And finally, I got to the point where I hit my 100th weekly post. Wow. And so I sent it out as a celebration. I said, this is a confetti moment for me. Now, mind you, the concept of confetti moments was never talked about until this moment. Wow. And I said, this is a, a celebratory moment for me. This is my hundredth story. And like, here we are kind of coming out of the pandemic. There's a lot for us to celebrate. Let's really take the time to look around and, and celebrate those small victories, those little ordinary things that we otherwise 
in a busy life kind of pass by. And the response from so many readers was, I hope you keep this going. I hope this isn't the end. And boy, wouldn't it be cool if you could package these stories together? I'd love to go back and read them all. I thought, hmm. And so the concept of creating all of these blog posts from two years of sadness and, you know, all the tough stuff that everybody went to into something that was really a celebration is where Confetti Moments came from. So over the summer of um, this past year, 2020, I took five weeks off to take all of these stories, find my favorite 52 and create, you know, one a week for the course of a year and build it into something that people could really hold on to and share and celebrate. And so that's where the book came from. What I, I had a hunch that the stories were impactful. I had no idea how this thing would just take off. And so it became a Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller wow. in November, which has just been like amazing to me. And so now the work begins. Now the work is getting this out there to as many people as I can and sharing these stories and then you know, encouraging other people to share their celebratory moments as well. Wow, that's so good. How inspirational is that, Greg? Yeah, it's a great like pay it forward. If I could, Amy, if you can, if you remember, you had a little story in there about your son at a slumber party I thought was awesome. Could you share that? <laughs> can you tell Phil that real quick? He's got three boys. I'd love to. Yeah, I'd love to. So uh, and this was back when my son was um, 15. He's 21 now. This is also back during the time where, you know, it's like the most insecure parenting. When you've got your parent of a teen, you're trying so hard to teach lessons. They're not paying any attention to you. Are they hearing any of these lessons I'm trying to teach? So it was a, an early Sunday morning and I was picking Charlie up from a sleepover. He had a, a slumber party with a bunch of basketball players, his, his friends. And I was, it was, I had to pick him up early to get to practice. And I'm in the driveway. It's like eight o'clock in the morning. So I know the kid's going to be tired. And the door opens of this friend's house and the mom comes shuffling out in her pajamas. And I thought, oh gosh. She said, I wanted to get to you, but, you know, before Charlie comes out to, to share something with you. So I'm panicking. And she said, late last night, the kids got hungry. They ordered pizza and wings. And, you know, it was a total feeding frenzy in our kitchen before they headed back down to the basement to watch a movie. And she said, my kitchen was a disaster. And all the kids went to the basement except for your son. And he stayed and he cleared all the dishes and loaded the dishwasher and asked me if there was anything else he could help <laughs> me with. And I was like, no, my Charlie's my son. Like, are you sure you got the right thing here? And, and she said, she said, I just want you to know, because as a mom of a teenager, like, I just want you to know, like, he's a good boy yeah. and, and he's so polite oh, and so helpful. I thought, cue the confetti. Like, <laughs> listen, this is one of those moments where... You did good. Like it was a total parent celebration yeah. for me. Oh, that's so good. So good. No, yeah. no big deal to anybody else. No. But it's like one of those moments where you're like, yeah. this, this is a little mini victory. Yeah. Yeah. That's if awesome. only they could do that at home. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but that's special. Are you saying it was performative dishwashing, Phil? No. <laughs> so, Amy, you've delivered keynote speeches about why female advisors are rock stars, kind of on this uplifting theme that we're on. So what insights do you share during your presentation on this topic? It's one of my favorite subjects, um, coaching women in our business, mm -hmm. because they're so good at this work and they don't know it. So a lot of that presentation is actually 
educating and reminding women of how good they are in this business. And, and I know I'm stereotyping, so like no offense to my male counterparts, but we as women tend to be are inherently more empathetic. Our EQ is higher, where we connect quickly. We tend to speak less, listen more. And there's a, a level of connection quickly in those client relationships that I think for a lot of, of men, it just takes longer to build. We as women connect instantly with husband and wife, mm-hmm. where sometimes um, you know, my, some of my, my male colleagues will say, like, I've got a great relationship with the husband, but uh, I'm, not, I'm not really sure how to connect to the wife. And I think that women in our business, we get it in so many different ways. It's kind of the integration conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, we understand the couple as a couple. We understand them as individuals. We know the challenges of parenting. We know how hard it is to run a business. And so I, I feel like we bring to the table a level of connection in so many different ways that, that just makes us really good at this. Mm-hmm. The problem is women don't know it. It takes us longer. Our trajectory is slower because we've got other things we're competing with. It takes us longer to make money because we're not in it 50 hours a week like men can be because we're often doing other things and other responsibilities. And so our attrition is pretty high. You know, for, for the retention of women in our business, it's, it's lousy. And I just think we, because we don't have enough time and kind of give up, mm-hmm. um, we, we really need, need to invest more time. So part of my work and part of my mission in coaching women is to increase retention, mm-hmm. increase productivity and increase happiness. And so that's what I teach in those keynotes. That's nice. awesome. Yeah, so Phil has uh, uh, Jessica Stenzel on his team, and she works in that space, coaching female advisors and female leaders. So I think that's a a, a cool niche and a, an interesting perspective that I know they're always, from a recruiting perspective, which I guess ties into what you're saying, is they're always trying to get more women advisors into the business. Well, what's so interesting about it, though, is like we recognize it, we know it, we try to recruit more women, and then we train them the way we train men, which I think okay. is, is a mistake, right? We're still training women with, with sort of stereotypical male sales language mm-hmm. that, you know, women listen to that the old red letter language and go like, I would never say that out loud to someone, but that, but yet that's still how many women are getting trained, which is also why their perception is, I don't think I fit in this business. If that's what I'm supposed to say, and that's really uncomfortable and, and like not a fit for me. Maybe this isn't the right industry for me. When really what we need to do is tailor training more, I don't want to say more gender specific, because I also think a lot of that old school training just doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I'm teaching empathy and this relatedness to my male coaching clients too, because they, I think we all need to get better at these skills. Sure. Yeah, that's interesting. And again, Greg, so much of what we do is in the space. and the mm-hmm. language elements. And uh, I think you mentioned Jess Stenzel and her being a part of this. I think she's going to be hugely helpful here. Um, already mm-hmm. has been. And mm-hmm. uh, so, Amy, there's a great article on your website called No Plan B about an experience you had during your interview for your first job as a financial advisor that you said was critical to your success. Could you share that story with us? Sure. I was interviewing for you know, being a financial advisor. I was 26 years old. I had a corporate job at the time, corporate credit card, ca- a car, right? all of the things that as a 26-year-old, you kind of have it made. But I was really intrigued about being a financial advisor. 
in the interview process, one of the questions that my who would become my mentor asked me um, was, if this if this financial advisor thing doesn't work out, what's your plan? And so well, I, I just know that I could always go back to the corporate job. And he kind of barked at me in the interviews like, no, wrong answer. I was like, oh, like what's the right answer? He said, um, the answer is no backup plan, no plan B. If you're going to do this, you are 100% in. I don't ever want you to think you've got one foot in and one foot out the door yeah, right. or that you could go back to your comfort and security. It's not going to work. And for me in that moment, it was like, okay, am I willing to risk it all, bet on myself, which really it w- it was what it was about mm-hmm. and, and be willing to kind of cut, you know, cut the cord and just do this thing with all of my effort and enthusiasm? And the answer was yes. And I've taken that advice many times over my career when I think, okay, this is one of those, no plan B, no backup. I'm going all in and betting on myself here. Nice. Nice. Takes a level of bravery. It's reminding me of the the Viking, the, you know, the burn all the boats, the yeah, later people that there's no turning back. Absolutely. Yeah. So Amy, you're an advocate for the LGBTQ community. And you encourage other financial advisors to be allies for the community as well. What are some of the unique needs of this community from your perspective as a successful financial advisor and advocate for a more inclusive culture? Yeah, I think what, what people need to understand, but first and foremost, the, the most common question I get asked as someone who's in the community, mm-hmm. um, I get asked by other financial advisors is, do you have to be gay or do you have to be a member of the community to be an advisor for the community? The answer is absolutely not. I always just say, no, you just have to be a cool person. You have to be someone who, you know, who understands right. what the unique needs are. This is a community that is protective, skeptical, oftentimes private. Depending on the age of the clients you're working with, they might not be out, mm-hmm. which I know this day and age seems weird for younger people, but it's true. And so understanding and respecting where someone is at this time in their life, being okay to ask the difficult questions that that aren't difficult if you understand that these are really important. Like, for example, you know, I'm working with a young gay couple right now, two men, and they're, they, they're going to have a baby. So you have to ask the question, how are you going to do that? Surrogacy is $200,000. Let's have a plan for how much that's going to cost. And, mm-hmm. and so to understand that there are some non-traditional ways of doing life, paying taxes, maybe not being married. And so how do we understand those nuances and help them either work around some of the, the rules and laws or just understand that there's some unique elements to the community and be willing to coach them through that and ask those kinds of questions that you don't ask other people. It's so awesome that you were able to lend your experience and your perspective into that space. I had a big wirehouse that was a client and I worked, I would help them put together these big presentations and we did, I helped work on an estate planning seminar for the LGBTQ community. And it was fascinating just because everything seemed to be not wired. You know, it it just seemed like the state laws were different and that there were um, the deck kind of seemed almost stacked against them in certain ways, just in the level of detail that needed to be involved to protect themselves. So, yes. And right now, the trans community, I think they kind of rise at the top of the list right now. People who are misunderstood Mm -hmm. and you've got to understand what that process looks like the cost associated with transitioning, how health insurance works. We as financial advisors, like, do you know how underwriting works for a trans person? If you don't, it would be important to know that. And so having these kinds of, I would say just as a level of empathy and mm-hmm. education 
around these issues that make you an awesome advisor and ally. When, when you can ask those questions and understand the answers behind them, you will be the most trusted advisor because then you are so referable. You know what, Greg, the word that comes to me is awareness. Mm -hmm. Just like with anything, there are two things you said today that in my seasoned mind and aware mind, I I wasn't aware. And so whether it's special needs, I mean, there's so many different layers where it's just awareness and empathy. uh, And and so that's extremely helpful. So we got uh, one more question uh, for you today, and that's... um, around your first book called Life Savings Conversations. The cover excerpt says, prepping you for the 10 most important money conversations you'll have in your life. Why did you decide to write this book? I wrote this book because I couldn't find this book. I searched for years. I just, I wanted a simple read for a prospective client who was nervous about meeting with a financial advisor or weren't sure if they were ready or didn't know if they could still DIY you know, their investments in insurance. I wanted a book that kind of broke down 10 top conversations that people have around money that are stressful to prep you so that when you do show up for that first meeting with a financial advisor, like, ah, like you're ready for it in a way that you wouldn't have been had you not read through this, these simple chapters. So the book was written for the prospective client and the majority of the purchasers of the book are financial advisors. Mm. These are, I've got you know, people buying this by the dozens and they give them to all of their prospects to say, looking forward to seeing you next month. This would be a great 90 minute read before our meeting to just get you prepped for the kinds of conversations we're going to have. Oh, I love that. That is powerful. And, and again, who says no to Amy Jamrog uh, when it comes to managing <laughs> their money? Nobody. Um, <laughs> oh, thanks. That, oh, I'd be sh- I'd be shocked. And so, what what a fun experience today. Um, how do people find Amy Jamrog if they say, "Boy, this is powerful"? I'd really like to learn more and understand more. Three answers for you on the financial planning side. Jamrog.group is our website for the firm. ConfettiMoments.com is the website for my new book, and then Four Wings. W-I-N-G-S, fourwings.consulting is the website for financial advisors and, and for the blog for financial advisors. Wonderful. Well, Greg, what do you think? So I'll say she's a bona fide triple threat with that uh, 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 three different ways to contact her. So that's awesome. Uh, Amy, I really enjoyed the chance to get to meet you and to get to know you. And I am going to send you the note about getting your Confetti Moments book so I can share it with my niece and my sister in their emergency confetti. So uh, I'm sure they'll appreciate it. <laughs> thank you so well, much for that. Amy, thanks thank again. You. What a pleasure. And my best to you. I, I sincerely hope our paths continue to cross. Thanks for joining us for this edition of the Sea Captain Way podcast. If you found the conversation valuable, please like, share, and post a review on your favorite podcast app. To learn more about Sea Captain Coaching and how you can start taking advantage of our purpose-driven coaching guidance, visit us at seacaptaincoaching.com and get the Sea Captain view on navigating uncharted waters of growth. The link is in the show notes. You can also follow us at Sea Captain Coaching on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Wishing you fair winds and a following sea on your journey. 